Hello, everyone. Welcome to Wild Entheology. My name is Kaylee, and this is my co-host, William. William. Hello. (laughs) (laughs) So today we are going to be talking about some of the underlying mechanisms of how psychedelics work within the brain and how this corresponds to the subjective experience of psychedelics. Ooh, that sounds interesting. (laughs) It is. I think it's going to be fun. Um, You know, we're usually discussing the personal and philosophical side of psychedelics. So this is definitely a new level of analysis to take Mm -hmm. towards more wholly appreciating psychedelics. Yeah. Yeah. It's the full picture. Exactly. Before we get into that, though, as... uh, has been the case for the past couple episodes. We're going to talk about social media. Uh, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Wild and Theology. Same name as the podcast, same picture. Uh, you can engage with us there. We do Q&As. So like ask us any questions you might have about something we've said or criticisms, whatever. Questions about anything and everything. Yeah. Hmm. Except the stuff we don't want to talk about, but <laughs> we just won't mention those. Yeah, we'll just pretend we didn't see it. Yeah, yeah, Leave exactly. you on red. Yeah. Okay, that's it. So the particular paper that I read to be discussed today for your and my own pleasure is called (laughs) The Entropic Brain, a Theory of Conscious States Informed by Neuroimaging with Psychedelic Drugs. Oh shit. Yeah. It's it's, a mouthful. I know. It sounds intense, right? Yeah. Um it's a paper. It's very scientific and technical. But very, very fascinating. It, mm-hmm. ki- it came from Imperial College in London, and it was, and it is, not was, it, it exists currently. Okay. Um, Are you sure? <laughs> <laughs> it is by Robin Carhart Harris and his research team. No. He's like the Justin Bieber to the psychedelic community <laughs> that, like, Stanislav Grof was. Yeah. It's like he's like the Michael Jackson of the psychedelic community. Oh, my God. I was going to say, now that you say that, I was going to say, like, like, um... Never mind. This is dumb. But Ty Dolla Sign, you know. <laughs> Were we talking about him the other night? Like he doesn't have his own music. He's just like featured on everything. Yeah, yeah. But I guess it doesn't really work because Robin Card Harris is definitely like he's got his own thing. Going. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, <laughs> that was an aside. I wonder how much they're going to appreciate these <laughs> these hip hop. Hopefully, they never listen to this. Honestly, I really hope no one that I mention ever hears this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> <Yeah>. Okay, <clears throat> but yeah, it's it's definitely to read. Reading this paper was definitely a different pace for me, and it took me quite a while to get a grip on what I was learning, and even longer to find the words to actually speak to it and explain it here today. Mm-hmm. But you know, I'm gonna give it my best shot, and um, yeah. So we're like the heart of the psychedelic community. What hit me with your best shot? Uh- <laughs> This is too much. <laughs> okay, that's enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, um, but yeah, discussing the underlying mechanisms of the brain and like the neuroscience kind of perspective mm-hmm. is great. And, but this paper in particular is wonderful because it's kind of aiming to bridge two worlds of like mm. the mind aspect of the brain, specifically psychoanalysis that perspective Mm -hmm. with cognitive science okay so it's trying to bring that like level of scientific rigor to something that has historically been 
not scientific at all, mm-hmm. which is psychoanalysis. Yeah. And that's really cool. That is really cool. Bridging yeah. of two worlds. We love mm-hmm. integration. So when you think of psychoanalysis, what comes to mind for you? Hmm. Actually, this is funny because uh, I'm taking a lifespan development course right now. Mm-hmm. And the professor, and I've heard this from other professors, every time they talk about like the psychosexual stages from mm-hmm. psychoanalysis, they're always like, oh, but all that bullshit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. And so it's like eh, the unconscious is a good idea, but everything else is bullshit. Right. And yeah. so it's like the narrative is that psychoanalysis is mostly bullshit. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, exactly. It's it's so absurd in a lot of ways. When you think about like wanting to fuck your mother or like um, oral fixations yeah. or I don't know. Penis envy. Penis envy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that. And then his daughter, I think it was his daughter. Freud's? Yeah. Who she said like uh, vagina envy. And it's mm-hmm. like men have pockets and they put all these things in their pockets. <laughs> Just... Oh my God. That's yeah. so, that's so funny. Yeah, it is. But though interesting and offering some explanatory value at the personality level, not a lot of people think that psychoanalysis psychoanalysis has any legitimacy due mm-hmm. to its just untestability, really. Like, yeah, to study the most important aspect of it being the unconscious, they relied on dreams yeah. and free association, but that didn't really provide much, mm-hmm. much grounds to stand on. I mean, yeah, like you, if you remember your dreams at all and like mm-hmm. you might you just like i actually don't remember that many of my dreams mm-hmm. and so there's not a lot of material for my unconscious there but then like actually do you remember your dreams as they actually happened or are you it's just like a mismatch yeah you know yeah exactly but i've always i've always thought it was fascinating and i i, sure. I feel like there is like it does make some intuitive sense to me you mm-hmm. know like that's how i've always kind of thought about psychology and what's drawn me towards it is like why are we the way we are and it just makes sense that there's so much of you that you're unconscious of that's like mm. driving your behavior, right? Mm. And so especially since I've started using psychedelics and like trying to make sense of the trips, which are highly symbolic. I've just, I found myself reconnecting with a lot of psychoanalytic ideas, especially mm. with Jung and the shadow and all of that archetypes and stuff. But yeah. Well, I feel like uh, psychoanalysis kind of matured with Jung. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, something. Yeah, Jung is like definitely seen as more like wow, interesting and like mm-hmm. amazing. Whereas Freud is, I don't know, he's kind of like ugh. He's like the creepy uncle. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Whereas Jung is like <laughs> the, the cool uncle. The creepy uncle of psychology. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I think that is something that's amazing about psychedelics in particular for psychology is that it's kind of restarting that conversation about psychoanalysis because. Yeah. Because psychoanalysis offers this, it's an interpretive lens for the psychedelic experience, which is kind of characterized as being this Mm -hmm. opening of the unconscious, you know? Yeah. So there's a lot of that interpretive perspective going around already for psychedelics. But then this paper in particular and the work of Robin Carr Harris is aiming to actually bring some scientific rigor behind those ideas Mm -hmm. to find the neural correlates of these psychoanalytic concepts. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So getting into explaining the contents of this paper. Mm -hmm. So once again, it is titled The Entropic Brain, A Theory of Conscious States Informed by Neuroimaging with Psychedelic Drugs. So let's start by explaining the concept of entropy. Through my exploration of trying to understand it, every single like person was like, this is notoriously hard to understand. (laughs) (laughs) Great. (laughs) Awesome. And they all explained it differently. And, you know, 
I really did the background, tried to do some background research because I was having such a hard time getting a grasp on it. But mostly just was like, I'm just going to stick to what this paper says in particular. Mm -hmm. So the paper begins by saying that entropy is a dimensionless quantity that is used to measure the uncertainty about the state of a system. Okay. So entropy is basically, for our purposes, synonymous with disorder and uncertainty. Okay. And what helped me understand entropy was learning a bit about the second law of thermodynamics, which is that the entropy of an isolated system always increases. The energy of an isolated the, system. The entropy. Entropy, entropy, entropy of an isolated, of an isolated system. system always increases. Always increases. Okay. Yes. So the uncertainty increases. Okay. The chaos. Um, so when thinking about what keeps a system functioning reliably and efficiently, this usually depends on the structure or form of the system and the energy within that system that keeps it in motion within those parameters. Mm -hmm. um, so systems that are functioning and working and doing their thing, they depend on a regular input of energy or force to keep it going. And when that force isn't there, mm -hmm. if it ceases in some way, then that structure, that form that keeps it in place will disintegrate. Okay. Yes. That makes sense. Does it? Yeah. yeah. I, I really struggled to find like some kind of an example of this. And I, I don't know if the, these, this is like my understanding of it. Okay. If we were to take an example, I, I think about like the circulatory system, mm -hmm. you know, and like what keeps it all going is like the heart pumping. And then obviously there's like the veins and stuff that it works through. But if the heart were to stop pumping, if that, if that like force behind it all mm -hmm. stopped, it would no longer be. Yeah, yeah, that's. I, I think that's a, a great example because, yeah. like, yeah, you're. I mean, it's just it's it's very straightforward. If your yeah. heart pumps, you die. Yeah, right? exactly. Um, it's simple. It's a simple example. And so, how does that relate to the brain? Okay, yeah. So, in the context of conscious states, the system we are talking about is the brain. Okay. That's the system. Yeah. And the entropic brain hypothesis is proposing that the quality or style of any conscious state depends on the degree of entropy within the system. Okay. Can you say that again? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I said it and now I'll say, I'll, t I'll say it again. I'll say it again. Your brain is a system. Yeah. And the, and the quality of your conscious state that you're experiencing right now is dependent on the degree of entropy within that system that is your brain. Okay. So a low degree of entropy would mean that your brain is highly structured and ordered. Mm -hmm. And a high degree of entropy would mean there's more disorder. Okay. So in our normal everyday waking consciousness, we are experiencing a low degree of entropy. At the mechanical level, this means that there are predictable ways that the regions of our brains are going to be interacting. Okay. The brain is an organized system that behaves hierarchically. Not all systems are created equal. There is going to be some brain activity that's going to take precedence over other brain activity. You okay. know, like it's all organized up there. <laughs> Different areas. Some of them are going to interact. Some of them aren't going to interact. There's going to be strong connections between some, none between others. And this is all like creating our coherent sense of reality. Okay. Another aspect of entropy is certainty. Okay. And this is based on the probability of how energy is dispersed within the system. So at any given moment, if we were to tap in and sample our brain when we're existing at this regular state of low entropy, we would have a pretty high degree of certainty that we would observe strong connections between particular regions and no connection between others. Okay, so it's predictable. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And subjectively, having a low degree of entropy in the brain feels like stability in our state of mind, consistency and accuracy in our perceptions of our environment, 
an agreement on a reality, like a shared reality between people. Like we're all kind of, we see the same thing and we're interpreting it the same way. There's just that, like we're very grounded in mm. reality. Yeah. I've heard of, um, I've heard that like when two people are talking and if you do like an EEG, mm -hmm. they're, their brainwaves essentially will start like to go into sync. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, yeah, it's like that, that would be low entropy on a higher order system yeah. between two people. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. That's interesting. interesting. stuff. Yeah. Cool. See, you understand this. I'm glad I have you here. <laughs> I'm glad I have you here too, <laughs> Kaylee. <laughs> yeah. So there, there it is. That's, that's entropy. Yeah. Okay. You got through entropy. I did it. Nice. I did it. Nice. <laughs> and so the next concept to be defined is criticality. And the paper introduces the concept of self-organized criticality related to system entropy when they begin to explain what happens when entropy in the brain increases. Okay. Yes. Okay. So, so criticality increases. in relation to when entropy increases. Yes, okay. exactly. Okay. Exactly. So entropy in the brain can increase with accompanying shifts into different states of consciousness. Mm -hmm. So for example, entering the REM phase of sleep where we dream... During the onset phase of psychosis, which is, it's an example that I hope most of us don't experience. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, and um, also Depends on traffic, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and there's also like, I, I, I've never heard of this before, but in, they also mentioned um, the dreamy state of temporal epilepsy. Oh. I've never really learned about epilepsy before, but I've heard of that before. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like maybe that's uh, when people get into that state. That's why like a dog can tell. Oh, really? Because people have like dogs that can like warn them. Oh, really? That they're about to have a, a seizure. That's fascinating. Yeah. Wow. That's very interesting. Yeah. So that's an example of um, a higher degree of entropy and as well as when taking a psychedelic drug. <laughs> hey. So as the brain moves from highly ordered into more and more of a disordered state, there's a point within that liminal transition zone between order and disorder, which, re which is referred to as the point of criticality. Okay. Now, I don't know exactly how narrow this point is because they refer to it as a point of criticality, but then they also describe some states as being super critical or more critical. Yeah. Or yeah. less critical. So I don't know how narrow it is. Yeah. Because you can't imagine there's going to be much... Like, there's going to be a lot of difference, relatively speaking. Mm -hmm. But, like, at a certain point, it's just, like, a pile of goo in your head. You know what I mean? That's a little bit too much disorder. <laughs> right? So, yeah. But yeah, I don't yeah. know. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, maybe that's what happens when you're on psychedelics. You know? Maybe. Yeah, this is your brain on psychedelics. You're just, like, <laughs> leaking out your eyeballs. <laughs> um, <laughs> but when in this state of criticality... There are particular characteristics that the, that the system, in this context, our brain, mm -hmm. will begin to display. Okay. And so there are three ma main characteristics that they have laid out that the brain kind of starts displaying. And they are achieving a maximum number of metastable states, hypersensitivity to perturbation, and a propensity for a cascade-like effect for processes to propagate throughout the system. And those are called avalanches. Okay. <laughs> what? Yeah. Okay. So uh, let's break those down a bit yeah. because I know, crazy. What does any of that mean? Mm -hmm. Okay. Let's start with metastability. Okay. Have you ever heard of that before? Uh, I have heard about it. About it. I, I had no idea what it means. Yeah. And it wasn't, it wasn't about the brain. Okay. Yeah. 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 Cool. Well, I, I heard it in terms of uh, systems theory applied to game B 
which is like a, a new form of politics and, and economic, mm. econ- uh, Jesus Christ, economics. Okay, interesting. Well, after I explain it, you can let me know if it was at all similar to that. Okay. Okay. I mean, I didn't know what it meant, so. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I still don't know what it means. <laughs> so yeah, I, I mean, yes, metastability, it took me a while to grasp it as well. It is a measure of variance in a network's mm. synchrony over time. Okay. So the synchrony being, once again, in my understanding, the coherence and stability of a mental state. Okay. So the greater the variance, the less stable or dominating one mental state is. Yeah, so low metastability would mean more consistency, less variance in your in your state of mind, basically. Over time? Over or time, Over yeah. time, okay, yeah. okay. Yeah. Well, then that makes sense, because, like, what Game B is saying is that they want... Like, what they said is that they want metastability over the course of centuries. Mm-hmm. And so it's about trying to design a civilizational system that would be resistant to collapse over mm-hmm. the long term. Mm-hmm. So that makes oh, sense. Okay. Yeah, cool. it's perfect. Okay. Perfect. Whoa, Beautiful. holy shit. You understand more than you think you do. This is how learning maybe happens. I- <laughs> live here and now on the podcast (laughs) not live when you listen to it but you know yeah Yeah. okay let's get serious (laughs) we're very serious yeah but yeah it it basically means once like this is from like a from the subjective quality of like how you're like feeling it's like it basically means flexibility or fluidity in your state of mind yeah so with greater entropy in the brain there's you reach well, at this point of criticality, criticality, you reach um, a maximum number of metastable states. So meaning you reach a, a maximum level of instability, basically. So like there's a, a like high variance and it's going to be, mm. you can, you're able to flow in and out of many different states okay. over time easily. Okay. Yeah. Okay. It's very fluid and so, flexible. Okay. 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 Yeah. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. And so that's the psychedelic state. Yeah. And so that explains, you know, kind of the, the, the fish out of water perspective that it gives you on, mm-hmm. on yourself and your life and all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. is because you have so much cognitive flexibility. Yes, okay. exactly. Okay. Exactly. And in contrast, when we're not at criticality, when we have low entropy in our brain, it's, there's more, there's just like way more stability in the way, in the way we can think, mm-hmm. the way we can feel. And it requires a lot more effort to change your state of mind you know like if you practice meditation mm-hmm. you might sit there for like a half hour and over that time you're like putting yourself in a different state and you might if you were hooked up to an fmri or something you, you would observe changes in your brain like, yeah okay in all the different things you know and then you would subjectively feel different as well but that's like you sitting there focusing your attention and stuff over time and okay it, it, it takes a lot more yeah, yeah, exactly. It's not but like then you... you take like a psychedelic and you're like popping off. <laughs> Your brain's just on a roller coaster going from like all over the place. Yeah, very, exactly. Very quick, very easily. Um, and then, yeah, hypersensitivity to perturbation. I mean, those are like big words just to describe like you're very sensitive <laughs> to any change right. in your environment. Hence, set and setting exactly. being so important. Exactly. Yeah. That's like, why there's so much emphasis placed on that. One of the things that I've always, I've heard about and I've always found for myself is like, if I have a plan for something to do, it goes well. Mm-hmm. If we don't have a plan, we're like, oh, we'll figure it out when we're on mushrooms or something. No. No. There's just so much, like you said, there's so much sensitivity that you're just like knocked from this way and that way. And it's yeah. just like, you need a plan. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Or you just need a, one environment, you know, like yeah. plan not to go anything or do anything that's going to require you to like 
think about what direction to take. Just like either you float around with no aim or you just stay put. Okay. So that makes sense. Yeah. And the last characteristic that I mentioned, the avalanche phenomenon thing, it's like, I don't know. I don't, I don't fully understand this one, but that the like cascade like effect for processes to propagate throughout the system. Mm -hmm. So would that be, let's try to, let's try to make sense of that. Like would, uh, would that mean, because you're, you're in this, this, um, very flexible state, Mm -hmm. you're very sensitive to perturbations and, uh, (laughs) So how that makes sense to me is that like you, you see that one picture of, you know, this is your brain on psychedelics and it's like super connected. Mm -hmm. Right. And so it's like any changes that might happen are going to spread throughout the brain so much faster. And that's Mm -hmm. like the sensitivity, that's the flexibility. And so like with any change, there's like a a far more, an avalanche of cascading effect Mm -hmm. with Mm -hmm. that just one change. Yes. Yeah. Yes, exactly. That's a beautiful way to put it. And like, actually something that I found really interesting and beautiful that the authors of this paper cite it's it's a different paper and i didn't i i looked over the abstract of this paper but i didn't go into it because it seemed really intense okay but they cited it because they they mentioned that this state of criticality is something that the rest of nature exhibits like all of these characteristics mm. are characteristics that the like systems in nature express always mm-hmm. it's like every like every system in nature is basically on the edge of being disordered yes. essentially yeah 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 poised and that's what criticality is it's like this perfect place in the middle of that transition transition zone between order and complete disorder mm-hmm. and that's where all those characteristics emerge from okay and like that idea of our brain on psychedelics being closer to this criticality and thus more in harmony with the rest of nature. Right. That's like so beautiful. And that's where some of the romanticization of the psychedelic state has come from. It's because you're, you're more like nature. Mm-hmm. It's pretty beautiful. Okay. So now that we have defined entropy and what happens when it increases mm-hmm. criticality, um, we can distinguish between two different types of consciousness. So one with the low degree of system entropy is referred to as secondary consciousness. And the other one with the high degree of entropy is referred to as primary consciousness. Okay. So distinguishing between secondary and primary consciousness. Okay. Primary, high entropy, and criticality. Secondary is normal waking consciousness. Yes. Okay. Okay. So this normal waking consciousness that we modern humans experience every day is secondary consciousness. And this is associated with everything that I just said about low entropy, which is like internal mechanisms being highly ordered, predictable, and with that having a more constrained, less less flexible state of consciousness and just being grounded in reality Mm -hmm. in general. But here, the main defining quality of secondary consciousness that is most relevant in terms of psychoanalysis too is the presence of an ego, a sense of self. This only emerges with secondary consciousness. Mm-hmm. This paper is taking the position that this, the ego, the sense of self is the emergent consequence of having a lower degree of entropy in the brain. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Okay. Yeah. So the fact that we have lower degree, a lower degree of entropy allows for all of the organization and the consistency and coherence in our brain. Mm-hmm. And because of this, we have a sense of self. Oh, shit. (laughs) Isn't that crazy? (laughs) That is crazy, yeah. Yeah, that's really crazy. 
So yeah, the ego, um, the ego is our sense of self and, um, it's everything you are. And it's kind of hard to, it's hard to think about at first, I mm -hmm. think, because th to think about something is to like make it the object. And most people can't even conceptualize that because everything is filtered through your sense of being yourself. You know, it's like, right. it's always present in your awareness that you are like a person, mm -hmm. like you are an individual and to make that the object. I think that's really hard. Mm -hmm. Like you're, you're, you're using it to look at itself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. It's like, yeah, that Alan Watts quote of like trying to pierce the head of a pin with that, the head of that ah, same pin. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. You've used that before. And I really like mm -hmm. that. It's one of the OG quotes in this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But like another way of conceptualizing the ego is like the opposite of all that is like, you know, thinking about it as like, like I am this. The opposite of that is like, I am not that. So right. it is our sense of not only what we are, but also what we are not. Like, because I am me, I am not you. Because I am me, I am not the objects in the environment. It's, it creates the boundaries that keep us separate from others and mm -hmm. nature, you know? And that separation is often referred to as an illusion in like spirituality and stuff, which right. is really interesting. But, um, and then also the ego is, conceptualized as a kind of gatekeeper of consciousness especially in psychoanalysis it's like it keeps repressed that which is unacceptable or undesirable for right. the ego for the, the conscious brain to experience you know it keeps down it represses all the those like instincts the primal yeah desires like that id exactly yeah. yeah yeah that's it the the ego is the defining quality of secondary consciousness and primary consciousness then on the other hand that that higher entropic state Prim like primary states include REM sleep psychosis temporal lobe ep epilepsy and psychedelic state mm -hmm. it's wonderful that the psychedelic state is considered an exemplar of primary consciousness because that's why it makes it so amazing to study freud actually argued as well that infants experience primary consciousness as well as primitive humans okay so it's kind of this regressive state both mm. in our own lifetime and as a species. Okay. Primary states are what we used to experience. Okay. So primary comes before secondary <laughs> in yeah. terms of like your own development, but also in terms of like evolution. Yes, exactly. Okay. Yeah. And that's what the words re reflect too, right? It implies regression and um, we can go back there. Okay. We can regress to that state. It's beginning to make sense. Things are coming together. <laughs> are they? <laughs> yeah. Good. I'm glad. I'm glad. I'm glad. Okay. So now that we've made that distinction between the two different types of consciousness, we can talk about the developments in the brain that caused this change mm -hmm. and why this change was or is evolutionarily advantageous. So yeah, this secondary consciousness equipped with its ego, sense of self and all of that, it's dependent on the development of certain structures in okay. our brain. There are mechanisms in place that allow us to experience reality as consistently and as ordered as possible. Mm -hmm. And also that keep us from being completely overwhelmed with all the stimulation that we're receiving. Yeah. You know, like you're taking in everything all the time, but you're not aware of it all the time because of like the hierarchy of your brain and the way it's organized. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's what we talked about in the, the last podcast, the, um, 
the psychoarchaeology of responsibility. It's like mm-hmm. those are your roles. Like your ego is your role, mm-hmm. or like it's it's the aggregate of all your roles, mm-hmm. and that's how you interpret reality and make it make sense of things. Mm-hmm. You know, actually, I, I'm reading this book right now called um, "The Hunter Gatherer's Guide for the 21st Century," mm-hmm. and they were talking about how. There's this illusion where they show you two straight lines that are parallel Mm -hmm. with on one line, you have uh, an arrowhead pointing toward the line. Mm -hmm. And on the other line, you have the arrowheads pointing away from the line, but they're Mm -hmm. both attached to the line. Right. Mm -hmm. And the illusion makes it seem like they're different Mm -hmm. sizes. Mm -hmm. The thing is, uh, I think they're called like the, it's like an exclamation mark than Kong San. Mm -hmm. They're like an African tribe. And, uh, they don't fall for that illusion. Uh-huh. That's so crazy because yeah. we are in this like square rectangular world yeah. of the modern architecture. And so our perception is like being uh, developed over our lifespan to mm-hmm. be able to fall for that illusion. Whereas, uh, you know, an African uh, tribes person living out in the plains never sees squares or rectangles everywhere. Yeah. So they don't fall for it. Yeah. It's like the carpenter's corner. Yes, exactly. Yes, yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, I learned about this in school. I took a class once. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah, it's super interesting. Exactly. That's just it. But yeah, so the brain became organized hierarchically and began to behave coherently, operating below the state of criticality in order for us to have this coherent sense of reality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so this article is proposing that the mind has evolved to reduce uncertainty and surprise through the suppressing of entropy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what are these structures and mechanisms? Ooh. Let's start with the default mode network. Oh, shit. The big bad default yeah. mode network. <laughs> oh, man. And I'm sure if you have done any looking into the science of psychedelics, you've heard of this. Mm-hmm. This thing. It's like the big dog right now. It is. Yeah. But what is it? I don't know. I don't either. (laughs) (laughs) You tell us, listener, Ah! please. Um, This paper is saying that the default mode network is the physical counterpart of the ego, the sense of self. Okay. Yeah. So, um, and and this is because the development of the default mode network is recent in our evolution. Mm -hmm. And it also develops over the course of our own lifespan development. Okay. So... In primary states, in primitive humans, mm-hmm. and in infants, they don't have a sense of ego yet. Right. And as infants age, the brain develops this default mode network, and then they have an ego. Same with humans across time. So there's like some evidence there, but <laughs> but what is it? Okay, so the default mode network is a network of brain areas that are centrally located in the cortex. Okay. And it is described as a kind of orchestrator or conductor of our conscious experience. Mm. It receives significantly more blood flow than any other area of the brain. And it also consumes much more energy Mm -hmm. than other areas. Because it is more recent in our evolution, it exerts top-down control over the older structures of the brain that do things like memory and emotion. Okay. So that's like the executive control, basically. Exactly, yeah. Or functioning. Yeah, and it also like integrates and inhibits signals from the other areas that it's connected to and and kind of it it has that gatekeeper function, same as what we were talking about with ego. It's Mm -hmm. keeping certain things out and allowing 
certain things in that are relevant to our experience. It averts chaos through being at the top of the hierarchy okay. that has developed. Yeah. Well, I was just thinking like, I, uh, I've been wanting to learn about like the holonic view of the brain. Mm. And like, again, in our last episode, we talked about the holon where a holon is essentially like a whole part. And I'm not going to go through the whole full fucking explanation of it. <laughs> no, but go off, go off. Basically a holon is like an atom is a holon and then you know, oxygen and hydrogen come together to produce a higher order whole on, mm -hmm. right? And so it's just a way to like categorize how things come together to produce new higher things. Yeah. And so the holonic brain, the the highest whole on of the brain is the brain as controlled by the DMN. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, okay. Wow, yeah, there you go. Mm -hmm. And this is like a relatively new concept Yeah. too. Like I think it was 2001 when it was discovered by accident. Really? Yeah. As with many scientific discoveries, it seems. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But, you know, it's like it was, they were doing an fMRI study and they had to establish like the resting state before, like to compare it to something, right? Yeah. And then they were like, they just noticed like, wow, look at all this activity between these regions. And it was like, a, it was, that was the network and it was the default mode network mm. because the person was just sitting there. So they're like, oh, this is what your brain does when it's not doing anything. Yeah. Other major functions of the default mode network are things like introspection, metacognition, and mental time travel. Okay. And all of these cognitive abilities depend on having a concept of self, like introspection, self-reflection, thinking about your own thinking, metacognition, thinking about how other people are thinking, mm. and, um, and mental time travel, like going other places, daydreaming. It's all just what your brain does when it's... Yeah. Because in any of those things, it's always like you're thinking about yourself yeah. in those situations or mm -hmm. thinking about like, like metacognition, thinking about your own thinking. Yeah. It's always about like you, like yeah. you're always there. Yes, exactly. Yeah. It's, oh yeah. Or thinking about what other people are thinking and it's all like in relation to you though. And like being individual units. Yeah. yeah. Like you said, like, again, yeah. like you, you only know others because you know yourself. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yes. So the speculation of the default mode network as the physical counterpart or neural correlate of the ego first came about after Robin Carr Harris's first fMRI study with psychedelics. Okay. And his hypothesis was that there was going to be an increase in brain activity. You know, like you think psychedelics, your brain's just like going crazy or something. Right, so yeah. naturally it's like, oh, we're going to see more activity. In the DMN specifically. No. Yeah. He didn't even know about the DMN at this point. This is like his oh, okay. first. Okay. This is like when the, that, that whole idea came to be. Okay. But yeah, I injected some people with psilocybin and watched their brain and observed a decrease in mm. blood flow, which is one of the proxies of brain activity. And um, he was confused. He's mm. like, what happened? Did I make a mistake? <laughs> <laughs> no. But yeah, it, like that, that was really interesting and surprising. And then after that they realized that this decrease was in the default mode network specifically mm -hmm. and then you know popped off did a bunch of research on what that what that was and also very interesting these greater decreases were positively correlated with higher ratings on the subjective measurement afterwards like asking the people how they felt and they were positively correlated with rating items like i experienced a dissolution of myself or ego mm. the greater the decrease the more experienced dissolution right. of having a sense of self. And someone even said, I didn't know where I ended and my surroundings began. Ooh. Whoa. Yeah. I've felt that before. <laughs> <laughs> I remember 
staring at a rock on acid with you. Yeah. And it was me and yeah. I was it. And there was no difference. That is crazy. That's exactly what I experienced on acid too. Yeah. yeah. Ah! Okay. Um, that decrease in activity of the default mode network that is observed when on psychedelics is also observed in fMRI studies with expert meditators. Ooh. Yeah. So yeah. people get hooked up, they do meditation, and the same thing is experienced, like the the decrease in activity in mm. that network. And the yeah, like meditation is kind of the, that same thing. It's like you're kind of breaking down those dualities again and, and transcending yourself. Concept, right. You know? Okay. So that's kind of interesting parallel. Well, yeah, like that just kind of, I know there's controversy around like whether psychedelics can, can reliably be considered like a spiritual tool. Mm-hmm. And I think the fact that like the, the state with experienced meditators and psychedelics mm-hmm. shows that there's something there, mm-hmm. right? And like whether or not you want to use psychedelics for spiritual practice, like that's up to you. Mm-hmm. But it, the, the evidence seems to be mounting that they are a spiritual tool, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And still need to be taken seriously, still need to be prepared for, mm-hmm. but clearly a tool. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's so interesting. It's so interesting. And like, like, why is it spiritual? I don't know. Yeah. It's, it is really interesting that there's that, that parallel and that for that reason, it's like, that means spiritual, you mm-hmm. know, like transcendence of self and breaking down of dualities. Mm-hmm. Those are like spiritual things. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, like, it's just, like you said, it's, it's a dissolution of self. Mm-hmm. So there's the, the experience of it seems to be the same based on what people have talked about. Mm-hmm. The fMRI of these states seems to parallel what you see in meditation. Yeah. And just the, the benefits that we see mm-hmm. with psychedelic trips, like, again, like, there's, there's an increasing amount of evidence for their benefit. Mm-hmm. And... So to say that, like, just because it's something you ingest, it's a drug, doesn't mean that it isn't as spiritual as meditation or any other spiritual practice you might have. You know what I mean? It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's not simply a drug. It is a spiritual medicine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's, it's weird that it's spiritual at all. And, like, that's the next thing that we're getting into here is kind of the mechanisms that enable our secondary consciousness. Mm-hmm. Like that keep us in this state and why we are kept in this state. Okay. There are three that I'm going to talk about. Okay. Three main mechanisms. So there's coupling between the medial temporal lobes and the default mode network. Mm -hmm. So they're different things, but they are highly coupled. Coupling between the medial temporal lobes and the default mode network is um, an important aspect of our experience of reality. Mm -hmm. So the medial temporal lobe includes the hippocampus, making it an important area involved in our declarative memory. So facts and events and like things that happened in our lives. Mm-hmm. Also in this area, it's like involved in processing sensory information and connecting that to the memory area and involved in our sense of, in our perception of space and time. Okay. Yeah. So in our normal consciousness, it is highly coupled to the default mode network meaning there is lots of connection, communication between the two. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like that's uh, autobiographical memory. Yeah. Where you're like, yeah, you're able to think about something in your past with you in it. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So that's why it makes sense that they're highly coupled. For right? sure. Yeah. You're, you're accessing that material and bringing it into your awareness. Mm. So yeah, that, that's one. Another thing. <laughs> um, there are oscillatory rhythms in the brain that create coherence and organization amongst brain areas. When they're interacting. Okay. But there are certain cells in the cortex that operate at an alpha frequency. Okay. 
And those are the neurons that have a, a great expression of the specific type of serotonin receptor that psych psychedelics target and thus proceed to fuck with. Okay. <laughs> Very scientific. <Okay>. Yes. <laughs> Was that in the paper? <laughs> yeah, I wrote that. Yeah. Um, so these alpha oscillations have been associated with temporal framing in perceptual processing as well as in self-reflection. Okay. So there, that's kind of the, the frequency that the default mode network is operating on in a resting state is like okay. this alpha frequency. And these alpha oscillations mature developmentally and evolutionarily. And they kind of, they fit in with the, the hypothesis of this paper in that they're speculated to be one of the defining characteristics that have reduced entropy. You know, these like okay. alpha frequencies are associated with there being like a mutual information across different areas. And it's creating like that, that coherence. Okay. So alpha waves is low entropy. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And the third mechanism that we're talking about here is the anti-correlation or orthogonality of the default mode network with task positive networks. <laughs> so it's okay. kind of like a, like a seesaw relationship. Like okay. the default mode network is activated when you're not doing anything, hence the name kind of when your brain is just left to wander and then activity will decrease and go towards the task positive networks when engaged in a, a goal directed okay. task of cognition. Okay. Yeah. So that relationship really speaks to the duality that the, the default mode network and the ego subsequently like enforces. Right. So right. yeah, that, that relationship really avoids confusion between what is internal subjective and self and what is, objective external and other yeah so there's yeah. there's like clear distinction in our experience as well as like what areas are being activated at the time mm -hmm. right i think that's really interesting that is very interesting yeah um excuse me again please I'm yeah sorry. yeah so this particular mechanism of our that creates like the the secondary consciousness experience and creates that um that duality mm -hmm. to avoid confusion between the two things right like internal default mode network is like subject self and that is completely separate from the task positive network which is like externally focused or object focused and other okay yeah okay and the the, the fact that they are engaged exclusive like mutually exclusive i mean i think the default mode network is kind of always activated yeah, that, yeah. that's a part of something they mentioned also though though there is like this kind of like i said seesaw relationship between the two the default mode network is always receiving more blood flow and consuming mm. more energy than any part of the brain okay and that just speaks to the fact that no matter what you're doing you're always a self you're always experiencing those boundaries right know, unless it's like completely unless it's significantly decreased in activity right exactly yeah. okay well that makes sense because like i know in in a flow state, mm -hmm. which is when you're so focused on some sort of task mm -hmm. that your sense of self, it becomes diminished, mm -hmm. right? And so like, mm -hmm. it, it's always there, but it becomes like, you're so focused on this task that you just get lost in the task. Mm -hmm. And like time flies by, you start like being able to, um, to solve problems on a, at a really fast pace, like faster than normal. And so mm -hmm. it's like, that's when the task positive network is at the highest that yeah. it can be. But like you said, the DMN is still always there in the background. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's really interesting. Yeah, flow yeah. states. That's speculation. I just yeah. want to say like... Yeah, totally. Yeah. But I, I was just going to say, that's really interesting. And I wonder if they were to do like the same kind of fMRI study, if they would see something similar mm -hmm. as like in a meditation 
because that's kind of what it is. Like when you're in a flow state, you achieve that meditative state of being yeah. like a focus. Hmm. Maybe yeah. we can have a podcast about that later. Oh, let's maybe. do it. Let's do it. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So those, those three mechanisms, like that's not the full, like the extent of it, but you know, that those are really main things that this paper discusses Yeah. in terms of like what maintains this sense of reality okay. every single day. And, um, and that's, that, those are the mechanisms that we evolved to, yeah. to have this. That's magical. It really is. Yeah. Right? Like yeah. I, you always hear that idea that, you know, oh, science takes the magic out of everything. It's like, oh, no. dude, the, the, we, we just figured out how like you have a sense of self and maybe we don't have the full picture, of course, but yeah. like, that's the most magical thing ever that just like these neurons and these networks functioning as they do together is what gives rise to like the subjective quality of like who you are. Mm -hmm. Like that's in insanely magical. Exactly. I've, yeah. I've always thought that way. I'm like, how does science take the magic out of things? If yeah. anything, it adds more magic. Like, exactly. It was like I said at the beginning, like through taking this new perspective, we can more wholly appreciate the psychedelic experience. Yeah. Like now that I know more about what's happening in my brain, sure. that doesn't diminish how amazing it is. Yeah. If anything, that makes it more amazing. Well, that's, that's just the awe and wonder of, of understanding mm -hmm. the world, you know, like mm -hmm. it, it, like, I have a feeling in my chest right now that's just like, ugh, like, I just love this shit. I want to find out more about this right? stuff. And it's like the dry, like, love is just oxytocin in your mind. It's like, <laughs> I'm sure some people are like that, but I'm like, oh, shit. Like, the, the, the beautiful feeling of love yeah. is just like this chemical in your brain. And it's just like that makes it so much more incredible yeah. that this thing evolved to, to, to this mechanism behind the like the most beautiful feeling you can have almost. Yeah. And it's like, that's that's insanely magical. Isn't it? Yeah. Like, I remember this one time where, like, uh, it, it was in a, a bio class and we were learning about... Like all throughout the semester, we'd learned about like the different parts of the cell, basically, and how mm -hmm. that all kind of like works on a structural level. Mm -hmm. And then closer to the end, we started learning about like a certain process of like how it all comes together. And I'm just like, oh, my God, like just floored by the complexity of it yeah. as everything comes together. And again, it's just that like that awe and wonder at the beauty in the world. Exactly. You know, even at the level of just like cells, you know, mm -hmm. it's, it's amazing. I Absolutely love it. Absolutely beautiful. Yes, you're right. You're right. And it is it is beautiful. But it comes with its drawbacks, right? <laughs> okay. So this is where we're getting into it. Oh, so like, no. I mean, why did we evolve this way? Why, yeah. why did these aspects of secondary consciousness like this, this took over from primary consciousness? Like we were existing in that state of criticality. And then we decided, I'm just kidding, we didn't decide. That's not how it works. But, you know, like <laughs> we had to learn to be more meticulous in our sampling of the external world. There had to be more consistency. Yeah. You know, and that, uh, and that it really makes sense why, like it promotes things like realism and foresight, being able to plan and predict mm -hmm. to have control over our environment, you know, and this has all, all the benefits of social cohesion as well, you know, like being able to reflect on yourself. And to think about what other people are thinking. So it, the, that's actually like kind of counterintuitive and, and funny is that like the ability to think, the, the ability to have the sense of self is what allows you to take the position of another person. Yeah. And have that empathy. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. That's beautiful. And mm -hmm. it's amazing that we can do that. But. <laughs> okay. But. But. <laughs> but all of those things I said about the default mode network, those are also all of the things that like drive us crazy at times mm. is like being able to think about what other people think. Have you ever just gone on like an obsessive thought loop of like, oh, this yeah. person thinks 
I'm shit. Or just like, well, I wonder what they think of me mm-hmm. or imagining yourself from other previous perspectives or, yeah. you know, or going mental time traveling back to some cringe moment in your life and just like, <laughs> like replaying it endlessly, yeah, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, it's like when you're in the shower and suddenly you're just like, oh, why did I do that when I was four years old? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, oh my God. Did you ever like go up to the wrong person thinking it was your mom? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> God, I was so stupid. I was six. Like, yeah, exactly. You're just, just like, <laughs> you're so dumb. And you're just like, dude, you're like six years old. Like, it's okay. Yeah. Oh, man. But you know, these abilities, though amazing. And like, they're yeah. the hallmarks of the human experience. Like no other animal, well, I mean, as far as we know, gets to do these things. Like they mm. don't have that sense of self and other. But like, I don't know. Like, they're also the abilities that keep us from just experiencing the moment like we yeah. can always be somewhere else in our minds we can always be in a past experience or we can always be predicting a future experience and we can become too too settled in these ways of mm-hmm. thinking because like that that's an aspect of it is like this maturational settling of the connections in the default mode network like it yeah. d- develops over time and as you're sampling your environment and learning to predict things those connections become stronger and stronger and you become more rigid in them right that's why they said that we we operate from this subcritical level we're just like a little lower in order for us to be to to have that prediction to have that foresight Mm. but because of this we're it's it we're inflexible now oh so it's like it's the opposite extreme yeah 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 okay okay okay. well it's not necessarily extreme but like it's just lower yeah, so it's like like what you're saying then is like there's low entropy state of waking consciousness and then once it becomes pathological, it becomes even lower entropy where it's like yeah. stuck in a rut basically. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that's what we see in like depression and stuff is in the default mode network, it becomes hyper-connected mm. and there's more activity there and that's associated with more rigidity in your state of mind and yeah yeah. it's like that like that obsessive rumination Mm -hmm. yeah exactly and just being like neurotic yeah well yeah that's that's interesting like the 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 ocd that i experienced with like obsessive thoughts it's like the the obsessive thoughts are getting stuck in that rut and you Mm -hmm. get like triggered by anything like even a photo Mm -hmm. and suddenly you're just having these obsessive thoughts where you're like you can't stop thinking about it yeah you're you're stuck in that rut yeah and that's like an over hyper connected dmn yes exactly yeah Yeah. and yeah it's, it's easy to point to all these like disorders but yeah like i said everyone everyone experiences that that just lack of presence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, we, we evolved this way for a reason, mm-hmm. but it's also those very things that are now causing us degrees of suffering. Yeah. But I, I found it really interesting. At, at one point in the paper, they they refer to this, this concept of depressive realism okay. as like depression being a kind of evolutionarily advanced state mm. because it's like so good at at sampling reality and that like just basically that like people who are depressed have a better understanding of reality and people who aren't depressed <laughs> are like have a positivity bias or something oh my god I mean, it's so depressing yeah. <laughs> so basically reasons. like yeah so like when you're depressed you're able to see reality more like it actually is uh-huh. whereas where you're like you have that positivity positivity bias you're you're more likely to have kind of like a expecting things to go well when there might not be evidence for that yeah yeah exactly yeah it's funny 
Well, it's not funny. It's kind of funny. And that might be an oversimplification of what they were like meaning there, but it, it's sure. just like a speculative, like, oh, what if? Yeah. Like, what if this is the way? That's the thing. Like, anytime you have a conversation about this kind of stuff, there's always the caveat that it's far more complex than you can really yeah. talk about in yes. an hour and a half podcast. Of course. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So then, if we evolve this way, and if this is the evolutionary advanced state, then why why is it so profound and healing for us to regress to a, a like a, a primitive yeah. primary state of consciousness through the use of psychedelics? Why is this regressive state healing? Mm-hmm. And also, like like I said, all like the mechanisms I laid out there of what is keeping us like what is keeping our brain ordered and organized in order for us to experience like a coherent reality. And to not overwhelm us and to not allow like all this unconscious material to arise all the time. Like, why isn't it the case that doing something like psychedelics isn't completely painful and uncomfortable? Like, yeah, yeah. If we evolved all these mechanisms in order for us to, to be like sane, basically, why is having all of that dismantled? Why is that so good? Yeah. But then like when we, when we talk about something like that, like the ways it become, can become so rigid like it's it's no wonder it's no wonder that it feels like a relief yeah to to be like to be free from that in a way to be the fish out of water to see that you've been in water the whole time you know yeah and and that's what's going on like in the underlying mechanism level it's like all of these these oscillatory rhythms become desynchronized that like seesaw orthogonal relationship it decreases like Mm -hmm. that um that difference between the subject and object and the external internal, that relationship decreases. And it's really, it really speaks to how, you know, like psychedelics aren't a panacea, Yeah. but like they just keep expanding on what they're studying psychedelics for, you know, like yeah. it may have started with like depression, anxiety, and then PTSD and OCD and eating disorders. Mm-hmm. And really there's like a commonality between all of these disorders it expresses itself differently but it they're they're all really pointing to like that underlying like rigidity of of being stuck in a really bad way and through dismantling these reinforced patterns of brain activity Mm -hmm. it's it's relieving of those toxic thought patterns and behaviors it's like that rigidity isn't necessarily a bad thing it's just when you're very rigid if you get caught in a bad rut Mm-hmm. It becomes very dangerous. Yeah. And so like you're almost more sensitive, you could say, where it's like if if you get stuck into a certain bad rut, you're you're super sensitive to anything that might like push you into that rut. You yeah. know what I mean? Like cuz it, cuz it's not like a, you're a, like you just get stuck in one rut of thinking always and forever. You can get out of certain ruts, but like there's this one rut that's so deep and so pathological that like anything can set you off and mm-hmm. suddenly you're falling into it and you 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 have to like struggle to get out of it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And so it's like this rigidity is like the survival mechanism that can be very uh, beneficial mm-hmm. until it get taken too far. Mm-hmm. And then it's just like the furthest thing from to the point that you actually might you know end your own life mm-hmm. and that's like not a very good survival mechanism <laughs> clearly, yeah you know? exactly that's very true yeah again it speaks to the the potency of this tool mm-hmm. you know exactly yeah. but it's not only that and i think that's that's something interesting too is like experiencing this shift in consciousness or this regression to like a, a, a primary state it's not just healing of 
negativity, mm-hmm. but it's also profoundly spiritual, like like we already discussed. That's actually something that I wanted to talk about is while I was reading it, because they, they keep on talking about regression, mm-hmm. regression to these, the primary consciousness. And when I, I consider like the spiritual stuff that I've read from like Ken Wilber, for example, where he kind of talks about like, there's the pre-rational, the rational or the, the pre-egoic, let's see, let's stick to that. Mm-hmm. There's the pre-egoic the egoic and then the trans egoic. Mm-hmm. So basically what he's saying is like applying it to this primary secondary consciousness is that there's the primary consciousness, which is pre egoic. There's secondary consciousness, which is egoic. And then there's trans egoic. And it's like, what is that? Right. And so, and so I, I was just kind of thinking like, you know, obviously he could be wrong, mm-hmm. of course, but I, I think that it's trying to point to something that is a very valuable distinction between uh, everything that we're... It's, it's a valuable distinction here, yeah. right? And so, so basically how I've like wrapped my mind around that so far is that... And you kind of alluded to this where like as your ego develops, you're able to like push the external world outside yourself. Mm-hmm. And, and part of like that ego development is being able to say, okay, uh, I am my own sense of self and I'm not my mother. Like that's Mm -hmm. one of the first things that a baby develops is the ability to say, oh, that's my mom and that's me, Mm -hmm. right? And then it's like, uh, and then they begin to be able to tell the difference between uh, emotions that they're experiencing and the outside world. So now like a baby who's angry thinks like the whole world is shaking with its anger. Mm -hmm. Oh no, I'm angry and there's things outside myself. Mm-hmm. Right. And so it's this development of the ego of being able to like parse out what is and is not internal. And once we go to the transegoic, is that's kind of like including yourself. It's now that you've separated the ego from the environment, mm-hmm. the transegoic is reintegrating the ego back into the environment. Mm-hmm. Right. And so it's like you are now able to say, and this is what like we experienced on LSD, is that like we or at least speaking personally about my own experience, of course, is that like I, I, I realized and felt myself become the universe. And like, I felt like I could look around myself and just like, you know, I was the table and like, mm-hmm. I will still existed, but I knew that there was, I was also the table, yeah. right? Because like, I was the whole universe and the table was part of the universe and I'm part of the universe. Yeah. And so we are just like this one same thing. So this transegoic experience then is not necessarily a regression, so to speak, because you're still able to return to the ego or still like see what the ego is in relation to the environment, mm-hmm. right? And so it, and that's why I make this distinction between first you remove the ego from the environment and or first you remove the environment from the ego, sorry, and then you return the ego to the environment, mm-hmm. right? And I think this is where there's disagreements in kind of the spiritual understanding, at least based on like what I've read about it Mm -hmm. is that Wilbur talks about it as something that comes is something that's like on top of ego development, Mm -hmm. right? It's like a ladder that you climb and you go through ego and then to trans egoic. And I I think that is, it's true in terms of the chronological development, Mm -hmm. but it's not as if like you're, developing your ego and then breaking through your ego to get to some higher state necessarily. There is a regression to this primary consciousness, but because it's a chronological ladder, 
it's in the context of having already developed an ego. Yeah. If that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And so it's like what the disagreement comes into is like with Hansi Freinacht has criticized Wilbur for putting just like trans egoic on top of egoic. Mm -hmm. And he says, no, 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 there's egoic and then there's spiritual experience and they're two different things. Mm -hmm. He's, he's, criticizing Wilbur for conflating these two different things. Mm. And again, when we consider this evidence that Carhart Harris has come up with, and it, it could be wrong, of course, mm -hmm. but based on the evidence that he has and the way that he's interpreted that evidence is that seems to, to provide more evidence to, yeah. <laughs> to Hansi's opinion where mm -hmm. there's the development of the ego and then there's the spiritual experience that you have. Mm -hmm. And they are... You can develop your ego to like insane degrees of complexity and maturity and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But that is not related to your ability to get into it, the spiritual experience. Yeah. Am I making sense of that? Is that I making sense? I think that kind of makes sense. And I mean, yeah, like in the, in this paper, they, they discuss the primary state mm -hmm. as being like, that is what is regressive. And through using psychedelics, you can go back to this primary state mm -hmm. and psychedelics themselves include the possibility of yeah. having a spiritual experience but there are other primary states that aren't necessarily associated with spirituality yeah like i don't know if i, I mean psychosis i guess some people mm -hmm. think that could be spiritual but like you mean like dreaming or when you're a child like are, ch are children more more spiritual than, yeah than us like no not necessarily they're just there is you are able to regress to a primary state and it isn't necessarily spiritual yeah yeah and, and this is another thing that Wilbur's talked about this. Like he actually has a chapter in his book, Integral Psychology, where he talks about, our, like literally called our children's spiritual mm -hmm. or can children be spiritual or something like that. Mm -hmm. And he says that again, it's, it, it, it is spiritual in a sort of way because it's, it's non-egoic, mm -hmm. but it, it, it comes before the development of the ego. Mm -hmm. And so it's like spiritual or mystical experience in this way is something that happens after the ego develops. Mm -hmm. So when we talk about like, can, can what children are experiencing is that Wilbur kind of talks about spiritual experience as in, in terms of children as like some, a sort of self that can be spiritual. Right. And that when you develop your ego, that self that is spiritual in the child actually becomes like it is basically like left behind. Mm -hmm. And that once you've developed a mature enough ego, that's when the ego can then look back at that immature self and bring that self back up. Mm -hmm. Right. And so it, it's really difficult to make these maps of consciousness make sense because mm -hmm. there's so much different ways of looking at it and assumptions that are made and like. You're, you're, you're understanding what trans-egoic is in a certain way that might not be the way he means. Mm -hmm. And what I've come to understand then, what he might mean by that, and like what I understand about what trans-egoic is, is that it's the ego's ability to enter into the spiritual experience. Mm -hmm. Or I guess in the, it's, another, it's another tool in the, in the ego's toolkit as it becomes more mature and developed. Yeah. Right? Is that like the ego is still maturing like up, let's say, up the ladder, and now it can pick up this new tool and that helps it get up the ladder even more. Mm -hmm. But it is still the ego and the spiritual experience is like another ocean to go into. Yeah. Whereas like psychosis, for example, is the ego's inability to use that tool. Yeah. And it's like falling down into like this ocean of spiritual experience mm -hmm. without its conscious control. Wow. Yeah. Something very simple that came up while you're speaking was just like, 
it's not the destination, it's the journey. (laughs) Okay, (laughs) okay. Because, you know, the primary state, there's all these different ways, but, like, that doesn't matter. It doesn't Mm. matter necessarily that. That doesn't make it spiritual. It's like your, like you said, your ability to use tools, your ability Mm. to, like, develop your ego and then to let it go. Yeah. It's not to just not have it. Mm. To be a child, to not have an ego doesn't matter. Yeah. If you've never had, if you've never gone through the process of learning to relinquish that Mm -hmm. kind of control over your environment, you know? Yeah. Well, Wilbur claims that he is actually, uh, he is egoless all the time. Really? Like he, he claims that like, well, he claims that he is, and this is where the disagreement really becomes a big thing and where I Mm -hmm. kind of like disagree with. I I guess I agree with what Hansi's disagreement is, is that Mm -hmm. there's, four states of spiritual development based on the philosophy of a Indian philosopher named uh, Sri Aurobindo, mm-hmm. right? And basically what it is, is like, as you develop in your meditation practice, there's the um, psychic, subtle, causal, and non-dual. So basically with these four stages of spiritual experience, like psychic doesn't necessarily mean psychic powers, just to yeah. say that. Basically what it is, is like, you get more in touch with like the oneness of the universe where like the non-dual is self completely falls away and all there is is just experience as such, whatever that means, right? And so it's like if you have a sense of like I-ness, that's not necessarily Mm non-dual, right? And so my experience on LSD would be more of like a psychic spiritual experience because even though I was one with the universe, I still existed. Mm -hmm. And as you go up the chain, it gets more and more in depth. And what Wilbur has done is basically said, okay, you get up to a certain level of ego development and understanding of, of complexity and this kind of thing, more empathy. And then he just like stacks on those four spiritual states. Yeah. So at the highest state, then you're at non-dual reality where like your sense of self is always gone. Now it's no longer the ego picking up the spiritual experience. It's now the spiritual experience picking up the ego, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so Wilbur claims that he is at that state where mm-hmm. m- maybe, like, maybe he can pick up the ego. You know what I mean? And then, like, mm-hmm. this, this is where it comes to spiritual experience, where there's so many different ways of looking at it, and so many claims that can't be verified. Like, I don't know if yeah. Wilbur's bullshitting. Who knows? It, it just becomes very, very difficult to wrap my mind around i guess is like my conclusion of that and and it just goes to speak or goes to show that like these experiences are very complex and it's very difficult to like really say exactly what they are Mm -hmm. which is just like we were talking about before about the magic of all this yeah is how interesting it is yeah exactly and it's like i mean there might be even disagreement or just difference in definition of like Mm -hmm. what is ego for sure and yeah ken wilbur I can't say what he feels, you know, I can't speak to that. For sure. But it's interesting the way you said that about now he has the choice, how he, how he experiences is like, he has the choice to pick up the ego now, Mm -hmm. you know, when I was reading this, this paper and like just working on having it in my brain for like weeks now of just being like this, like working thing, this understanding and connecting it to other things and thoughts just emerge sometimes. But one of my favorite ways to think about reality and life is <laughs> yeah. like as a video game okay and um even <laughs> <laughs> even in this paper how how they're saying like all of nature exists at like a state of criticality and we yeah. through uh, through this development we've like become separate from nature and from other 
I like imagine that life is just this game. Like mm-hmm. we're, we're set back here. And like the point is to like kind of reachieve that state of like being in harmony with nature and like yeah, working yeah. through all of the problems that come from these evolutionarily developed things. And they're all like the big bosses that you have to face <laughs> and, you know, you're constantly like, yeah, yeah, whatever. But you know, like when you, no, beat, I completely agree. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. And yeah. then when you beat the game though, like you're not done, you're not dead. It's like, you still go back. You're like, Oh, yeah. I, I liked that one world. Like I'm going to go play in that world now. Like, yeah. Yeah. And I, I'm going to do that course again, just because it was fun. Like I'm going to go put myself back into those same challenges as before. Mm-hmm. But with the knowledge that like I beat the game and that it is just a game and that mm-hmm. I can just like run around and play now without that pressure of it being like, without the frustration of like, I have, I haven't beaten this yet. You know? Yeah. Well, that's like <laughs> what I've always had enlightenment and mystical experience explained to me is that like mm-hmm. you just wake up to the fact that it's a game and mm-hmm. it just seems so obvious that everything is just a game yeah and when you're in the ego it's so hard to wrap your mind around that because there's very serious problems in the world mm-hmm. right like there like if, you, if there's some people who've experienced stuff that if you say like oh it's just a game i mean they would lose their minds at you and be be almost fully justified for that mm-hmm. people have been through some horrible shit Mm-hmm. but that's coming from within the frame of the ego. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you've dropped the ego, if you've dropped the sense of self, suddenly you see, oh, it's just all a game. Mm-hmm. And the advantage comes with like waking up to the game is that once you, re- once you can like reframe everything you're experiencing as a game, you can reframe the fact that you can learn how to play. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. And what both of us have experienced in our development, as you just said, is that we've begun to uh, to awake to the fact that it's a game and we can look at all these skills and it's like oh i just have to like go out and put skill points in the terms of time and effort into this this uh this skill of like life purpose or psychology degree or engineering or medicine or whatever it is and Mm -hmm. i'll be able to get better at that thing to be able to beat the higher level bosses like conducting surgery or Mm -hmm. doing some other thing that you know we want to do it's like Mm -hmm. You just need to learn how to play that game. Yeah. And it becomes so much more fun, even though it can be very difficult and like exhausting emotionally to get through. Like when, when I say that, I, I feel like life is a game and I'm sure you can agree is like, that doesn't mean it's easy. No. It just means that like you suddenly realize that you can learn how to play. That's just it. And it helps relieve suffering. Like when I am in... I mean, yes, I've talked about on this podcast how I've struggled with eating disorders. And when I get into like a bad rut where that is the, where I'm like in a funk and it's like, it's weighing on my mind and I'm in the midst of all of the unhealthy behaviors that that comes with, sometimes it helps for me to just be like, it's just a game. And like, I I will like view my life as having like this scoreboard. I'm like, okay, I just need to like build up health points so I can get out of this, out of this story right now, (laughs) like out of this course, you know? So I have to like, and like, you know, just having, just breaking it down to simple things. Like, okay, I'm going to have a glass of water. I'm going to eat something healthy. I'm going to like, you know, do something good for my gut or something or like Mm -hmm. anything, any small thing. I'm just like, these are like adding up health points and like in thoughts too. And your, your points are going up and you're like, now I'm in a better state and I can go like go on to the next task or whatever it is yeah like the next the next level the next boss you know exactly yeah and again like it makes so much sense having experienced what i experienced on lsd where it's like i i realized that everything was 
happening for my own entertainment almost as the universe that yeah. like the universe was just doing whatever it was doing for its own entertainment yeah. and however true that might be on a, yeah. a metaphysical level or whatever like we can we can get into that <laughs> talk but like having experienced that firsthand where like even the anxiety that i was feeling it's like oh like i as the universe just structured my way myself in a way that it could have the experience of anxiety for its own entertainment and i was yeah. just like oh like Look at that feeling in your body right now, that anxiety. Look at like how it's making you think like, oh, it's just all for my entertainment. Yeah. And it's like, it's, it's, let's say that's bullshit, but being able to look at it as if that was true, it's that positivity bias. It's not necessarily true, but it gives you an advantage to actually like enjoy this time you have on this planet. Yeah, that's true. It doesn't mean that you just like stop playing the important games that might be there in your life. It makes you able to play those games like fighting for social justice, mm-hmm. standing up for a cause you believe in so much better. Yeah. That's the thing. It's like it, you're able to accomplish those important, serious goals yeah. so much better when you realize that it's a game and you can learn how to play that game better. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, maybe we sound like fucking psychopaths right Maybe. <laughs> Sometimes, like, yeah, honestly. Yeah. Sometimes, I don't know. <laughs> But it's, it's, I just enjoy life so much more and I just take things like, it's so funny that I just like, when I don't take things so seriously, I end up just taking them so much more seriously in terms of how much effort I'm willing yeah. to put in to make it happen. Exactly. Right? That's it. That, and that's, it's kind of the, um, it's kind of counterintuitive yeah. just in the same way that like embracing something helps you let it go. Yeah. You know, it's the same kind of, um, yeah, same yeah, exactly. Kind of is there anything else you want to talk about? You know, when you're saying about being on LSD and how, and just an experience of on being on psychedelics in general, so you, you feel how real it is, mm-hmm. you know, like it, it feels so real. Like you feel like you're being revealed some like oh, deep like truth of the universe. More real than real. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like people come back with such conviction for like, I understand the nature of reality now. <laughs> like I yeah. have been shown the way. Mm-hmm. It feels like the truth. For sure. And that's... I mean, not to like decrease or diminish that experience, <laughs> but like through using science, but you know, like that, that, um, that relationship, the anti-correlation relationship between like the default mode network, the ego, the self, mm. and then the task positive other external, like the fact that that relationship becomes less apparent and there's less distinct distinction between the two. That's what allows you to experience, um, it's like a lack of subjectivity mm. is like what makes it feel like it's real. Yeah, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Well, it's it's. I remember reading the paper. It was talking about like one of the dangers of psychedelics is that it like it can cause magical thinking, mm-hmm. and that's kind of like again the positivity bias that that anti that that what depressive realism makes us see reality more accurately. Whereas mm-hmm. like that positivity bias, primary consciousness state makes you more prone to magical thinking because you create illusory correlations between things. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, the, the, the magical thinking is just interpreting reality and creating explanations based on your emotions, like mm. what you want to be true. I mean, yeah. it, it can be like a positive thing, like a, like a wishful fantasy, or it can be like a, like a paranoid delusion, mm. you know, it's whatever, whatever you want it to be. Yeah. And again, that's, that's the distinction between 
spiritual experience and psychosis yeah. is the spiritual experience is generally speaking in the context of the ego where psychosis is just like falling in and it's just like the ego can't make sense of what, mm-hmm. sorry, I was speaking over here, just like <laughs> falling in and the ego can't make sense of what's happened. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's so important to continue developing your ego while you're trying to have the spiritual experience. And that's mm-hmm. kind of like the integral method mm-hmm. is develop your ego and awaken from the fact that the ego is just some tool you're using to interpret reality. Yes. Right? And so it's like developing the ego means being able to separate the things that are internal and external, having a better ability to use logical reasoning and to be able to, to understand the world through correlation and experimental research that proves if something has caused something Mm -hmm. rather than simply being associated with in terms of like these statistics when in reality there's no association whatsoever Mm -hmm. right because like i we we were again we were in that class and they were talking about how like (laughs) what was it it was uh it was uh, i think it was eating spicy food is correlated with getting tangled to death in your bed sheets (laughs) <laughs> yeah i don't That's think such a ridiculous <laughs> example <laughs> i didn't even know you could get tangled to death in your bed sheets <laughs> to death tangled that's horrible death. That is horrible. Uh, but uh yeah so like it, the point being is that like developing your ego is getting better the a better ability to make sense of reality and so when we're talking about spiritual experience where there's the danger of magical thinking yeah you want to make sure you're doing that your due diligence to not come up with some radical theories about the nature of reality that are just like completely off the wall and make no sense yeah you know um and it it just i think with any spiritual experience that's true whether it's psychedelic induced or Mm -hmm. through meditation practice yeah totally because there are a lot of people who do meditation and have had these spiritual experiences who believe some pretty out there things yeah you know talking about it in a group of peers having somebody you can like sit down and talk about this stuff with and go back and forth and be able to talk about it with other people that's part of like that sense making process mm-hmm. where like you're not just doing it alone in your room like doing a bunch of psychedelics and you lose grip of reality it's yeah. like you need to have that sangha i think it's pronounced as like the, the the buddhist sangha is the the location you can go to where a bunch of other people are practicing mm-hmm. and that is very important when we're talking about all this stuff. You need mm-hmm. someone to to be able to ground you to reality whenever you're dealing with spiritual experience. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Is there anything else you want to say? No, I think that's it. That was a fun podcast. That we're, was a lot of fun. We got goofy. We got silly. We, it was all good. Thank you so much for coming along this journey with me. Yeah, thank you so much. And thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed it, everyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're not talking to each other. We're talking to you, the viewer. Um, <laughs> A listener, I suppose. So, <laughs> thanks again. Thank you. Follow us on social media. We want to do Q and A's. We're not doing them yet, but yeah. we want to do them. Yeah. Um, have a good day. Have a good day. Goodbye. <laughs>